chapter 11, verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. And then as a companion scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time is come. The judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let's bow our heads again, please, while we pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this day, for the mercies, for the grace of it. Thank you for the privilege to be in this place tonight. Thank you for this church, for this dear pastor, for each of these churches that are represented to here tonight, for each of these men of God. I pray that you'll bless them in their respective places of service. Thank you for thy servant, for the message that we just heard, for his faithfulness, and thank you for speaking to my own heart. We are grateful, dear Lord Jesus, that you do give us victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And thank you for reminding us of that great truth. I pray, Lord, in this service tonight that you'll speak to the need of every heart. Should there be those among us that are not saved, I pray that this will be there. They lay down their arms of rebellion to find mercy with the Lord. For those of us that are saved, I pray that you'll encourage your people. You'll edify your church. You'll give us something from your word tonight. Lord, when we leave, we'll be conscious that God has spoken to us and that God has said something to our hearts. Lord, tonight we do pray for our nation that's so far, far from you. And I pray, Lord, that in wrath you will remember mercy. And Lord, I do pray tonight, especially for those families in Texas that have lost their little ones. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll be with those families. And Lord, uh, we can't imagine the, the horror that is in their heart and, and uh, the depression tonight. But Lord, I pray that you'll work in each heart according to your great grace and your great power. Lord, I pray now that you'll be pleased to touch thy servant. I pray for that divine anointing. Illuminate my mind. Loose my tongue. And may the word go forth, not in power only, but not in word only, but in power, demonstration of the Holy Ghost with much assurance. Help us to travel the divine distance in this service that you want to take us. And all that you're pleased to do, we will give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In the name that's above every name, the name of our blessed, blood-stained Redeemer, I pray Amen. Uh, the psalm is said in the 11th psalm that I read in the third verse that if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The next verse tells us what we're to do. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven, and the Lord's eyes, his eyelids try the children of men. And uh, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There are eternal foundations, and there are earthly foundations. Earthly foundations can be destroyed. And if every earthly foundation is destroyed, the Lord is on his throne. He is in his holy temple. 1 Corinthians 3.11, the apostle said, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. But if every foundation on this earth is destroyed, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Romans 3, 3 says, For what is some did not believe. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And he said in verse 4, God forbid, let God be true, and every man a liar. A Christianity and the gospel have not failed. I read once where Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a dream one night. He dreamed he was on at Brighton Beach on the English Channel. And he dreamed that there were a group of infidels, a group of infidels that were gathered around a horse whose name was Infidelity. And those infidels said this horse named Infidelity is going to drink the English Channel dry. And the horse drunk, and he drunk, and he drunk, till finally he was bloated up and uh, went off of a bang, hide flying everywhere. And Charles Spurgeon said, Brethren, that's infidelity. I remind you that the Lord will prevail. If the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We have this promise, the foundation of God stand sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And these earthly foundations may be destroyed, but the eternal foundations cannot be destroyed. Genesis 8, 22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now, we don't hear that from the climate change crowd. It used to be they thought that the planet was getting colder, and so they tried to warm it up. And then it got warm and messed them up, and they told us it's getting warmer. And when they couldn't get it right, they just said climate change. So if it's cold or hot, they think they got it covered. I just uh, heard yesterday that there is a machine our government has spent $2.5 billion to invest in. And this machine is going to suck up carbon monoxide. I thought we needed that to breathe, but, but nevertheless, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. A machine, $2.5 billion worth, is going to suck up all the carbon monoxide. What foolish days we live in. What strange days we live in. Romans, the Bible says, while the earth remaineth, there's going to be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night 
shall not cease while the earth remaineth. Now there will come a time when the earth will no longer remain. And God is going to destroy it with fire. And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and shall dissolve. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Talk about global warming. It's coming. But not the kind, of course, uh, that they're trying to convince us of. Romans 13, 12 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Like that old farmer one morning woke up and heard the clock strike 13. And he said to his wife, Get up. It's later than it's ever been before. And I think that's true of our day. It is later than it has ever been. We do know this, that we are nearer the coming of the Lord than we were this time last year. As a matter of fact, we've been living in the last days since our Lord came to planet earth. Hebrews says that God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And so... We're grateful today for the eternal foundation. God has two great witnesses. Two in Scripture, of course, is the number of witness. There's the incarnate Word, the Holy Son of God. There is the inspired Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. You remember that when David was fleeing from Saul and he came to Nod and he asked Abimelech, the priest, if he had any bread, and the priest said, nothing but the hallowed bread that's been dedicated, that's sacred. And David said, give it to me. And he ate it. And he asked him if he had a weapon. And he said, we don't, there's no weapon except that, that sword you took from Goliath and cut his head off with. And David said to the priest, none, there's none like that. Give it me. And that's what I feel about this book. There's none like it. Give it me. Hell and earth shall pass away. But my word shall not pass away. We have a book that is sure. We have a book that is steadfast. Now, of course, science books change often every few years. If you have a science book that's five years old, it's probably out of date. They keep telling us about COVID, follow the science, follow the science. Uh, but it changes every day. But we have a book that is accurate. And we have a book that we can depend on. And I, I am grateful for the eternal word of God. Two foundations. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I read in 1 Timothy 2, 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. Now I know that sometimes that God even limits himself to our belief. And uh, the Israelites disbelieved God and, and, uh, and didn't believe that God could provide a table in the wilderness. But he did. And I remind you that whether we believe or not, it does not change the ability and the faithfulness of God, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. 
There's foundations that are scriptural, that are spiritual, that cannot be destroyed. And we are grateful today for that eternal foundation. There are two spe special foundations that I want to mention. There's the foundational book, and there's the foundational blood. All the hope that I have in this world is based on the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure, pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt preserve them to all generations. God's word has been tested in the furnace of opposition. Every ploy, every plan, every plot of hell has been used to besmirch the word of God. But the cunning of hell and the craft of earth combined cannot destroy it. The words of the Lord are pure. And the Bible says the pure in heart shall see God. And there's not the remotest possibility of ever seeing God unless your heart has been made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. If the Bible's not true, if we cannot believe this book, it would be better that we'd never been born. If I did not have a Bible, a Bible that I believe, a Bible that has sustained me, and a Bible that has guided me, I would be in despair. There's no way I could listen to the news if I did not have God's news behind the news. But we have a Bible that's true and a Bible that is accurate. If the Bible is a delusion, if it's false, what can the righteous do? Nothing that we could do if this book is true. Because this book says that the Lord is on his throne, that he's in his holy temple. But if I can't believe this book, how can I know that? I know that because I have a book. And I believe this book to be the word of God. I remember the first time, Brother David, I ever met a liberal. I've heard about him. But the first time that I ever met a liberal that admitted that they were a liberal. And uh, he was a professor. And uh, I just never met a liberal. And I don't care if I meet another one. But in the Word of God, to stand forever and ever, his Word is eternal. You remember that Peter... I was witness to the Lord's transfiguration on that mountain, that holy night. And it was present when the Lord was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And, uh, the, and his raiment did shine, and his face was as bright as the sun. And there appeared Moses and Elijah. Somebody says that, that when we die, they don't think we'll have a body. I don't know all about that, but I know that Moses and Elijah had one that night. Somebody said, well, they just barred somebody. Well, what happened to the people's body they barred it from? But I, I know that Peter witnessed the eye, the transformation of our Lord, the transfiguration. 
but it's great and it's glorious as that was. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. It is the written word of God. The words of the Lord are pure. Somebody said that the Bible is a book that men could not write if they would and would not write if they could. God's word. The Bible is none other than the voice of the one that sits on the throne. Every book, every chapter, every verse, every syllable, every letter of this book is the utterance of God. Psalm 47 says, Psalm 40 verse 7 says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, because this book is a testimony, a revelation of the Lord Jesus. Its prophecies prophesy Christ. Its types typify Christ. Its symbols symbolize Christ. Its gospels glorify Christ. And its epistles expounds Christ. He is the genius and the and the and the genius of the and the genesis of this Bible. And wherever you touch this Bible, outpours divinity. This book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It has been supernaturally written. As Abraham said, who saw the day of our Lord, he rejoiced in it. And we rejoice in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible is astronomically correct. He hung the earth upon nothing. I read once that I believe it was the Egyptians believed that this world was on the back of a giant elephant. And they think we're crazy. <laughs> or that this book just came as a result of some explosion out in space somewhere. He hung the world on nothing. And this Bible is geologically correct. This book is psychologically correct. It is historically correct. It is geographically correct. It is medically correct. In 1628, Dr. William Harvey discovered the circulation of blood in the human body. But 2,616 years before, Solomon had already written about it. This Bible is botanically correct. This book is zoologically correct. This book is meteorologically correct. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1 7, all rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the places from whence the rivers came, thither they return again. The Bible says he bindeth up the waters in a thick cloud. He draweth up the drops of water. Rain is condescended into vapor, evaporation, all in the Bible. I read once that uh, uh, geographical studies uh, teach us how uh, the air, currents of air flow from the North Pole to the South Pole. And that, that going south, that there's the flow of air. And also coming from the south is a flow of air, currents of air, one on top of the other, never running into each other. 
Well, that's strange. The Bible says the same thing. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 6, The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about toward the north. It walleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to its circuit. That's what the book says. The Bible is the final judge. The Bible is our standard. The Bible is our guide. If the Bible describes something as sin, it's sin. Whatever this book says is right. It is God's eternal word. And this is one word. This is the word of God, a foundation that cannot be destroyed. I even heard about somebody this past week uh, that uh, were having a Bible school and the pastors said they were afraid to allow people to bring the Bible. It might be misunderstood. It might hurt somebody's feelings. A Bible school. No Bible. That's strange. I must be getting old. I hear strange things every day. And I think some days I'm beyond shock. But I still get shocked. I'm amazed. But I have a book that's right. I have a book that gives me songs in the night season. I have a book that guides me, leads me in the way eternal. That within there's the foundation of the blood. All the hope that I have in this world is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for the grace of God. Many, many years ago, it came into my heart with all the hope and the peace that I've enjoyed these years has been because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The night the Lord saved me, if I had to repeat the prayer I prayed, I could not do it if my life depended on it, let alone my soul. But I knew two things that night. I knew that I was a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And the Holy Ghost enabled me by faith to look to the Lamb of God that the foundations be destroyed. The foundation of His blood cannot be destroyed. Therefore, we're justified by faith and not of works. I have no hope of heaven apart from Jesus Christ. I do know this, that I don't have as many years as I have had. I'm sure of that. And I know that someday, through the rapture of the church, my eyes are going to close in death. And I don't know what my last words on earth will be. I may not be conscious to have any last words. But I do believe my first words will be in heaven, Jesus. Jesus. Blessed Jesus. My hope is anchored in the blood of Jesus Christ. No Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground. His sinking sand, the laws of God and the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my heart. In Revelation 18, when you read about that scarlet bride, 
religious, and then commercial Babylon. And you see religious Babylon drunk with the blood of the saints. The Bible says of them, of that bride, they're arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stone and stones and pearls. But the bride of Christ, the one I belong to because of the book and because of the blood, and to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I would not dare to face eternity without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If I thought I had to stand before the Lord in my own righteousness, depending on my works, I would be terrified. Robert Mary McShane wrote, when, when I stand in his likeness, I will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I dare not trust my own righteousness. And, and when clothed in his righteousness, then I'm made perfect through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the eternal foundation. And there are the earthly foundations. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The foundations of civil government and of commerce must be, may be shaken. But I remind you that the eternal foundations are not shaken. In 1 Samuel, you remember when Israel wanted a king, they wanted to be like all the other nations. And God said to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee but me. And God told Samuel to describe the kind of king that they would receive because they said, We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so God, through Samuel, said, here's the kind of king you're going to get. Now, this will be the man of the king that shall reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks to be bakers, and he will take the fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. Sounds kind of like our government. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodness young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. But nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. Benjamin Rush from Philadelphia, one of our founding fathers, said this of our Constitution. 
Our Constitution was made only for a religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It will not work for a moral, irreligious people. And that's kind of frightening. Human foundations will fail. The tires of falsehood and lies shall all be swept away. Israel wanted to be like all the other heathen nations around them. They wanted to be like the other nations. And God said, all right, there will be conscription for service. Uh, I'll draft your sons and your daughters for service. And I'll confiscate your property. Take your fields and your vineyards and your olive gardens. Even the best of them. Modern day socialism. I'll charge taxes. Samuel told them that their taxes would be heavy under a king. And Israel never did get away from those taxes. Even in the time of Jehoiakim, 400 years later before, before the Babylonian captivity, they were still paying taxes. And Jehoiakim was, was uh, taking their silver and their gold and giving it to Egypt. And God said through Samuel, if you get your king like you want, yours, you'll cry out in sorrow. And the most tragic sentence in this text is, the Lord will not hear you in that day. Israel shut their ears to God's message, and God shut his ears to their misery. Human foundations will fall and uh, uh, there are those today who, who want us as Americans to be like the Europeans. They want us to be like Copenhagen, Paris, or the nations of Europe. And I am grateful to God tonight to be an American. And I'm not here for political rally, but I'm grateful for America. I love this country. It is the home of the brave. It is the land of the free. It is the land of the pilgrim's pride. It is the land where our fathers died and our freedoms are slipping surely and slowly away. Thank God for the privilege we've had as, uh, as Americans. And it's from the shores of this nation that the gospel light has gone out all these years. And what a, what a sad tragedy when we think about the state of our nation. But if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We look to the Lord. We trust Him. We're to obey Caesar and render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but to God's which belongs to God. Peter says in the text that I read, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Now, he's not saying we just barely got in. But we got in by the grace of God. And if we got in through great travail, because it's hard to give up sin, it's hard to break from the bonds of Egypt and from this world. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? If judgment 
must begin at the house of God. And God will not let his people sin and yet buy with it. What will it be for the sinner facing a dark, dark eternity without God? We're saved with great difficulty. Not that there's any deficiency on the Lord's part. But I am grateful that as powerful as the bonds of sin are, His grace is more powerful. He came to us in the bottom of the pit. He didn't say, climb halfway out, and I'll meet you halfway. Hold on and hang on. Good luck. Hope you make it. But we cannot get to Him. He came to us in mercy and in grace. And as Brother Price reminded us, we live with the faith of the Son of God. He gave us the faith to believe. And all that we are, we owe to Jesus Christ. And uh, when God judges, he won't start at the country club. He starts with his church. You can rest assured of that. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? I do not know what we hold, what we face as a nation, what we, hold, what we face as individuals. But I know the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I believe as William Capra wrote that God plants his footsteps on the waves of the sea and deep and unfathomable minds of never-ending skill. He works out his sovereign will. If the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We have the 